Christopher Grunlin presents Hell Comes with Wood-Paneled Doors, read by me, the author, Christopher Grunlin. Chapter 12, Midnight Run It was dark by the time we reached the campsite. Dad, however, didn't let that phase him. With a small flashlight held between his teeth, he had our two Coleman tents up and ready in no time. Daddy, can we roast marshmallows, the twins said. It's kind of late for that, guys. Maybe tomorrow, okay? Elvis and Olivia wandered into their tent, forced to eat cold marshmallows. Mom was ready to sleep. She didn't even complain about having to sleep on the ground like a wild animal again, nor did she bring up the possibility of impending bear attacks. Maybe she was still just in a different place entirely, having met her idol, the king of rock and roll. Where are you sleeping tonight, Dad said to me. The tent, I said. Again? Yeah. I think he finally realized there was something really bothering me. He gave me a hug. Okay, good night, buddy. Night, Dad. I rushed into the tent without looking back at the inferno. I didn't have any trouble falling asleep that night, but I kept waking up every hour or so, fighting with my sleeping bag. One of the times I was awakened by a crunching sound. Something was just outside the tent. There was a snap and a pop, and eerie shadows flickered on the walls of the tent like tiny demons behind a blue screen. I looked around and only saw Aunt Margie. I went to unzip the tent flap, but it was already open. The cool breeze coming through the opening shook me awake, and for a brief moment I never felt more alive. The moon shined down on me. It hung in the sky like a big apple slice. I could smell the crisp air in the trees. Things smelled better outside in the middle of nowhere. Back home, everything reeked of crowds and gasoline. I inhaled deeply and smelled smoke. Crawling from the tent, I heard the twins whispering. They were huddled around a small campfire away from our sight, just on the edge of the trees, their shadows long on the ground. The two huddled together with their backs to me, forming a little shield to block the light from the flame. For a brief moment, a fireball floated in front of Elvis's face until he blew it out. I decided to sneak up for a closer look. When I got right behind them, I could hear what they were saying and see what they were doing, roasting marshmallows and quietly talking about me. They had a bag between them and Aunt Margie's lighter at their feet. The fire extinguisher from the inferno lay beside them. They used the gas to start the fire. Michael's such a dumb dummy head, Olivia whispered. Yeah, Elvis agreed. Olivia's marshmallow caught fire and she watched it burn a moment. She pointed at it and said, that's Michael. Elvis covered his mouth and giggled. You two are in trouble, I said, loud enough to wake up Dad, who was a light sleeper while camping. Maybe deep down, he too had a fear of bears and was always just on the edge of sleep, listening for something to wander into camp. I startled Olivia, who kicked her legs out, knocking the fire extinguisher into the campfire. Elvis tried pulling it out, but somehow ended up triggering the nozzle, sending a jet of gasoline into the flames. In an instant, the fire grew to several times its original size, burning the tall grass around them and heading for the trees. You two are in big trouble. Dad! I yelled. They stood with their backs toward me, staring at the flames. Dad! I cried, but there was no sign of them. Then I heard Olivia, in a deep, unholy voice, say, No, Michael. You're in big trouble. They both turned their heads. 
They didn't turn their bodies, just the heads, like Lucky in the car. And just like Lucky, their eyes glowed red. Olivia held a burning marshmallow before her, and Elvis reached into the fire and grabbed the extinguisher. He sprayed it through the flaming marshmallow, sending a huge fireball my way. I ducked to the right. I could smell my singed hair, but I was safe. I didn't know what else to do, so I opened the front of my pants and urinated. I peed all over the place, putting the fire out like a hose, knocking the twins back with a blast. I dropped to my knees and kept peeing until I realized I was dreaming. I knew if I didn't wake up right away that I'd wet my sleeping bag. I woke to the sound of Aunt Margie snoring. From the other tent, Mom joined the nighttime chorus, the two sounding like a pair of 250-pound bullfrogs calling to each other from iron lungs. The twins were talking quietly in their sleep. Even when they were in dreamland, it was like their minds worked as one. They probably shared their dreams as well. Olivia inhaled deeply and whispered, Michael's such a dumb dummy head. And Elvis said, yeah. Maybe I heard them talking in their sleep. Perhaps that's what triggered my nightmare. One thing's for sure. Sometime in the middle of the night, all the soft drinks and juices I consumed that day got the best of my bladder. I had to pee, but I didn't want to leave the tent. I thought about unzipping the opening and hanging it out the flap, but I would have been mortified if Elvis or Olivia woke up and saw me peeing. I had to go outside, but I decided to hold it instead. My bladder would explode and poison my abdomen before I'd go outside, in the dark, alone with the inferno. I tried dozing off, but my body wasn't going to let it happen without relieving myself. In the end, I had no choice. I had to go outside and find the outhouses. I unzipped the tent flap and ventured out. I told myself I wouldn't do it, but I turned and looked at the inferno. All its chrome glimmered in the moonlight like it was smiling at me, daring me to cross its path. It was up to something. I tried making some noise as I passed Mom and Dad's tent. I figured if I could awaken Lucky into a yapping fit, or make Mom think she was about to be mauled by a bear, that there'd be enough commotion. Enough people awake for a moment at least that I could make it to the bathroom and back with that feeling of safety that comes from knowing your parents are awake. All I was greeted by were deep, rumbling snores. Even Dad, the light sleeper, wasn't waking up no matter how many twigs I snapped beneath my feet. My best bet was running. I ran as fast as I could, refusing to look back. An outsider would have laughed if they knew I was running from a parked car, but their view would have changed after what happened next. I listened to the cadence of my feet, smacking across the gravel and dirt. The outhouses were dead ahead. I was convinced if I could make it inside to close and lock the door, all would be safe. While peeing, I'd figure out what to do if the inferno were outside the door, waiting for me. That plan went to hell, however, when I heard tires on gravel. I ran faster, but the sound got closer. Whatever was making the noise was close behind me. I turned around, and the inferno was right there. I was about to be smashed between the grill of Dad's beloved station wagon and the door of the outhouse. I had this image of my last moments, getting knocked through the door, bouncing off the back wall, and falling into a swamp of feces, urine, and whatever else lurked in the bottom of smelly outhouses. I felt the inferno literally on my heels and dodged to my left. The inferno took out the outhouse and went hood first into the waste pit, but I was spared. I heard mom yell, that better not be a bear, James O'Brien, and the entire campsite woke up.
Dad was the first to the scene of the would-be slaughter. I nursed a scraped knee and looked at the car, tipped into months of waste. What happened, Dad said. I lost it. The car, Dad! I told you the Inferno was out to get me! Dad looked at the Inferno. He actually gasped at the sight. How'd this happen, he said. I was going to the bathroom and it came after me. That's ridiculous. Cars don't just stalk people, Michael. Well, this one apparently does, I said. Then I heard it. Mikey peed his pants. Mikey's a big old baby. I didn't see the twins approach, but there they were, laughing and pointing at my crotch. I looked down. In all the commotion, my bladder decided if I wasn't going to comply with its request, it would take care of things on its own. The front of my shorts were soaked. I'm going back to the ten, I said, stomping away. I stripped out of my underwear and shorts under the privacy of my sleeping bag, slipped into some fresh clothes, and threw the soiled ones away. I'd take a shower in the morning and change again, but all I could think about at that moment was sleeping. Back at the outhouse, Dad looked at his car, hood deep in muck. The back tires were well off the ground. Had the pit been deeper, the inferno would have gone in past the windows, filling its insides with the stench of hundreds of digested barbecued meals. I must have left the emergency brake off. That's the only explanation, he said. He pulled down on the back of the car, trying to rock it back on all four wheels. A couple people helped him out, and the sound of the back end slamming down woke me from a premature sleep. Dad had the back of the inferno planted firmly on terra firma again, but it came with a cost. Both back tires blew out when the back end came down. A couple big guys climbed on the back bumper, providing Dad with enough weight to at least back the Inferno from the pit. He secured the emergency brake, told the campground owner he was sorry and would settle up on the price in the morning, and went back to bed. Thank you so much for listening to Hell Comes with Wood Panel Doors. It really means a lot to me. Theme music is provided by Belgium's best surf band, Parado Ketchup. And if you want to know a little bit more about me and the other things I do, check out ChristopherGrunland.com. Stay safe and take care.